All right. So we've come to the part of our Faith Path series. Um, Whereas families, there comes a time where you need to start talking to your kids about purity. Uh, Theologically, biblically, purity means all kinds of things. And we'll get to that kind of towards the end of the sermon. But as it pertains to faith path, what it really means is talking to your kids and having conversations within your family uh, about what it means to be pure in your relationships with uh, other boys and other girls. And and saving yourself for, for marriage in the way that we often talk about it. Um, the good news for you is that I took a grad class on how to do this, and so I'm an expert. The bad news for me is that you guys like know me and get to see how I do as a parent and evaluate how much I'm not actually as good as I think I am for the next like 20 years. Uh, so we'll just get to live that journey together. Um, in my grad class, uh, we all read a book about how to, to talk to kids about sexual intimacy and their bodies and all kinds of other things. And one of the things that the book said uh, repeatedly is don't use euphemism and speak plainly and to help them understand things. And then as a class, we each drew an age group. And then the assignment was to prepare a presentation that was appropriate for that age group. Um, I drew like first grade. I think. And I was uh, the first to get to present because we were going, I guess, in age order. And so I got up and presented a talk using no euphemisms and speaking very plainly as the textbook had told me to and finished. And the professor said, "Um, I I don't think you should say any of those words to six-year-olds ever. (laughs) I said, but the book said, and she says, yeah, we might talk about that a little bit more. And all my classmates went, we're so glad you had to go first. And she said, in fact, we'll wait and do the rest of the presentations tomorrow after you all go fix yours. Okay, so that was, that, was my, that was my experience with that. And so you can imagine how much I've been looking forward to an opportunity to share this topic with a room of people aged uh, crying child through retired, right? And so as, as we do this this morning, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to try and do this in ways that are age appropriate for the entire room, okay? In ways that invite you into thinking about how this dialogue can take place in your house and your homes. But the other thing I want you to know is that I'm not afraid of these conversations, and I don't think you should be either. And you need to, if you have a teenager, you should be speaking to them a lot more directly and plainly than I'm going to be addressing the room today, okay? Does that make sense? Um, And if you're married, you should be speaking with your partner in more honest and open terms than we're going to be speaking about here today. All right, because this topic is not a topic that should involve shame, embarrassment or uh, humiliation. We need to, in our families, be having these conversations because our kids are having them with or without us. Which one do you prefer? So my goal this morning is to have a word for you, uh, whatever your situation is. And so I'm going to talk some to our singles, and I'm not going to call them singles, just so you know. I'm going to give you a a key word that we're going to be using for the rest of the lesson. Uh, A lot of times we talk uh, about people who are not married as singles, and it has this connotation that they're like halflings of some kind, that they're almost humans like the rest of us married people. Okay, we're not going to do that for the rest of the sermon. When I'm talking about people who are not currently married, I'm going to describe them the way the Bible does, as to our members who have more time to be devoted to God. Okay? So, so here's when I say, for our members uh, who are part of this church family who have more time to be devoted to God, you understand that I'm talking about people that aren't married. 
This is Paul's words, not, not mine. I'm going to be borrowing them today. Uh, and so here's what I need. So to understand, if you are one of our members who has more time to devote to God, raise your hand. You kind of understand who you are? Very good. Okay, now if you are members who are distracted by your spouse and your children, raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Does this make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. Uh, I'm a very distracted human, even in my ministry. I'm distracted by all of the responsibilities that come with me. Paul understood that it's a blessing to be single because you have so much time to do what you want and God wants and the kingdom requires of you and you're given so many gifts to do that. But he also in that conversation says, uh, stay that way as long as you possibly can, devoted to God in the kingdom as long as you can stay sexually pure. And that's an important caveat because it, it comes with a burden. So it's a blessing that comes with a burden. I'm also hoping this morning to have a word and an encouragement for parents and then a word about what purity really means for all of us, not just those of us who are thinking about uh, physical intimacy and things of that nature. So the first question, uh, as I begin addressing those who have more freedom to be devoted to God, is this. Is sexual sin worse than any other sin? Is it worse? Because this comes up a lot of times. Because the, the reality is that the church often is not that interested in talking about sins that happen outside of the bedroom and spends all kinds of time yelling about sins that happen inside of the bedroom. And, and so some people ask the question, what, can we not just acknowledge that all sins are sin and that all sins cause us to fall short of the glory of God and that all sins require Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be saved? Is that true? Yes. That is true, and yet, it is completely true, and yet there is something different about sins that involve physical intimacy with someone you're not married to. There's something different, and we get that for, for a couple of reasons. One is that the consequences of some sins are just greater than others. Do all sins put Jesus on the cross? Yes. But if you go and look at the Old Testament law, there's some sins where if you commit this sin, you have to sacrifice a bird. And if you commit another sin, you have to sacrifice a sheep. Those cost different things. And that's just a very practical way of thinking about it. The punishment in our world uh, for a speeding ticket is different than stealing. And yet at the same time, not just legal consequences. Uh, if I lie to someone I love, that has one set of consequences. But if I uh, do something much worse, if I have an affair on my spouse, the consequences of that are significantly different. Do both of those sins cause me to be lost and require the grace of Jesus for my forgiveness? Yes. Are the consequences different? You bet they are. And so are all sins equal? Yes and no, in a very practical way. But when it comes to sexual immorality, there's even this extra difference that Paul talks about in a way that's kind of unusual in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And so we need to turn over to that text and see what Paul says. It was read for us this morning, and, and I want to highlight it again. Just this last section here, starting at verse 15. Do you know that your bodies, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. People have asked me before, does the Bible ever say you shouldn't do drugs? I actually think this is the best scripture for describing why you shouldn't do illegal drugs. Your body is a temple, and not like in the so take care of it and be healthy and attractive like God's temple should be kind of way that we often use it. It's a little bit shallow. What I actually mean is that your body has God's spirit dwelling inside of it. Your body is spiritually one with the body of Jesus Christ. When you are baptized, you go into the water and you come out and you are now placed in the body of Jesus and the spirit of God dwells inside of you. And Paul thinks this is so real that when he talks about prostitutes, he says, listen, if you're with a prostitute, she's one with your body and your body is in Jesus's body. You're connecting a prostitute to Jesus. So when you think about what it means to do drugs, this same argument applies. If your body is united with the body of Jesus Christ and you take heroin, you're putting heroin into the body of Jesus and those kinds of things shouldn't happen. There is a standard of how you should behave as someone who is united to the body of Jesus in that you should not connect to your body things that ought not be connected to Jesus, the Son of God. And that's how Paul's presenting this is that don't you understand that when you physically connect your body to something that is immoral, you're connecting it to Jesus, and you should not treat the body of Jesus and the Holy Spirit within you with such disrespect, with such disregard. And so in this way, when we think about this, and and Paul kind of says, listen, the other sins that you commit are outside of the body. These kinds of sins are inside of the body. I don't really know exactly what that means other than this. There are spiritual consequences to physical actions that you take with people you're not married to. And it actually works if you're married to them too. It just works in a positive binding way. Works in a positive binding way. Uh, When we physically connect ourselves to other people, it affects our spiritual relationship and reality to them. Uh, I had a really good illustration I was going to use with uh, a piece of green and yellow construction paper, and I was going to glue them together, and I was going to say, listen, this kind of represents what happens. This is how God has created our physical bodies so that our physical and our spiritual are connected to one another. And when you become physically intimate with someone, whether you're married to them or not, it binds you together like glue connects two pieces of construction paper. Now, I think my problem is they've improved the quality of materials that they now make construction paper with. Because I expected what happened when I was a third grader to happen, which is you would rip the yellow and green construction paper apart. And what would be all over the yellow construction paper? Green bits. And what would be all over the yellow one? Pretend I said it right. (laughs) Do you get the idea? 
It's the same thing that happens with Play-Doh. You ever mix two colors of Play-Doh and you're like, this will look really cool. And then you try and get them apart and you're like, oh, they're just brown forever. Um, it's the same idea. There are some things that once you join them together and bind them in a spiritual way, if they are physically removed, they carry pieces of each other with them forever. This is one of the great gifts God's given us, is that when two people, a man and a woman, come together in marriage, that they are bound together in such a way that that holds their, their, their wholeness of one another together for life. And if you get a, a divorce, what happens is, is there's a ripping there. And I'm not doing this to guilt and to shame you. And, and this doesn't just apply to Christians and those who believe in Jesus. This isn't a Christian teaching. This is real life. Go talk to someone who is an atheist and thinks God is garbage and ask them how divorce feels. And they'll tell you it feels terrible because someone that I wove my life into them and they into me, it, it was ripped apart. And pieces of me went with them and pieces of them will forever be attached to me. This is the reality of how we are created. Whether you believe in the creator or not, this is who we are as humans. When we bodily connect ourselves in a physically intimate relationship with someone else, part of them adheres to us. It sticks to us forever. And the more we physically connect with them, the more true that becomes. So that when the separation occurs, the more painful it is. And the more of us that goes with them, the more of them that comes with with us. Wasn't that cool how I did that with the construction paper? This isn't just Christian guilt and shame stuff. It's incredible how many of God's greatest commands are given to us as gifts that protect us from getting hurt. And this is one of those teachings. And it's one of those things that as a teenager, you kind of buy into this lie of like, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I could have all kinds of fun and it would feel so much better and, and be all kinds of excitement out there. But the reality is this, that, that these instructions, whether you're Christian or not, protect you from getting hurt. And so what we know is that, uh, that, that this is just the reality of how we're made. And there's one of the other things that I need to address, and this is continuing to kind of be for our members who are, are more free to be devoted to God, is there's this sense of uh, as long as you don't cross the line, you're okay. Okay, and so whatever that line is for you, as long as you don't cross the line, you're okay. And so you can walk right up to the edge of, uh, of, this, of sexual sin, right, and be like, whew, good thing I didn't fall off the edge there. And, and we get that idea. And the unfortunate thing is if that is your mentality, that I want to get as close to this edge as I possibly can without falling off, eventually you're going to fall. You're going to fall. That's how it works. And the other thing is if you're right here 10 inches from the edge, that doesn't actually save you from the consequences of the bodily and spiritual relationship that I've been talking about. So Paul, when he's talking about these kinds of topics, has, has said in Corinthians, uh, on this matter, I don't have a, one, a word from the Lord, but with the word, Lord's mercy, I consider myself one who is trustworthy. It's out of that place that I give you this advice. If you physically are intimate with someone at any level, kissing, holding hands, hugs, uh, and all the things that are between that and, and going off the cliff, okay, in my first grade age-appropriate way of talking about this, right? 
every step you take forward is a little bit more glue. And every step you take forward is a little bit more glue. Well, but when is it sin? Don't worry about that for the moment. Every step you take forward is a little bit more glue. Now, if you're married, that's a little bit more of what God has given you to help bind you to your husband or wife so that when you get to the tough times, you've got more adhesive to hold you together. But if you're not, and the time comes that you part ways by your choice or theirs or by circumstances or whatever else, there's more damage that's done when the ripping happens. It's the way God made us. So for anyone who's asking the question, hey, as long as I don't go over the edge, am I okay? You've got to kind of sort that out with God and figure out what immorality is and isn't for you and what sin is and isn't for you. Um, There's not a Bible verse I can go to, but here's what I want you to know. God has given you the gift of the more pure you are, the less damage will be done when you separate from someone. And that's a pretty great thing. So my advice to you is this, is don't get so hung up on what is sin and what isn't, what gets you lost and what doesn't. Instead, be asking the question, what can best help me to choose the least amount of damage that can be done if this relationship doesn't work out? And the second thing is this, I need to choose in every relationship I'm in, how many pieces of me I want to be gone when I finally do get married, and how many pieces of other people do I want to someday bring into my one flesh marriage? And that's just the reality of how this life works. So I offer this to those who have more time to devote to God. Here's what you need to know. Here's the wrap-up for that group. There is no sexual sin that cannot be forgiven by the grace offered by Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, uh, listen, if you've done some of the things that we're talking about today, you're just a sinner for life, and that label goes with you. It doesn't. There is no sin that you can commit that is not savable by the grace offered us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if you've got guilt and shame and other stuff from this stuff, from baggage of your past, and you're hearing me today, the number one thing you need to hear is that you have been forgiven if you are in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. Are there consequences to things you've done in the past? Yeah, those things stay there. There's that scene in Old Brother, Where Art Thou, where the guy gets baptized, and he comes up and he says, well, I need to go tell the, what is it, the great state of Georgia that I'm not accountable for my sins anymore? Different set of rules, right? The consequences of our actions exist even as we are forgiven by Jesus. Sexual immorality is as bad as any other sin in many ways, but it's also different in that it is some way against our own bodies, and it connects us to someone in some kind of forever way. It's a bodily thing with a spiritual consequence, like so many things are. It's the way God made us. Because our souls are made of body and spirit, the more we connect our bodies to somebody else that we are married to or somebody we are not, the more our spirit becomes connected to them in ways that can hurt us when we separate them or benefit us when we stay with them. So be careful. This conversation is not just about the cliff at the end. It's about protecting your heart and your spirit in ways that will help you to be whole and healthy. All right, parents, here we go. Here's where I give you wisdom that I'm just trying to sort out myself as I walk every day in in this life as a parent, right? 
Um, it's a terrifying thing to offer parental advice when you're still a parent. I look forward to doing this when my kids are older so I can look at you and be like, oh yeah, let me tell you what I did. Uh, when you're in the midst of it, it's like, I'm gonna tell you what I'm doing and failing at and succeeding out in the muddy mess that is parenthood, right? Um, so I don't come to you as experts, uh, as an expert, I come to you as one who is, is walking this and invites you to walk with me. Disclaimer, right? All right, um, Deuteronomy 6 is a passage that we go to all the time in Faith Path when we talk about how to walk with our kids through all the areas of faith formation, prayer, worship, uh, service, figuring out their gifting. When we talk about baptism and becoming a, a, a person that is adopted into God's family, we wanna walk through our kids through all of those moments. And Deuteronomy 6 gives us a vision of doing that that's not just having the one talk where we talk to our kids when they're you know, 15 or 16 and we say, listen, you haven't become a Christian yet. We haven't talked about this before, but I think I should have a Bible study with you. Is that a good way to pass faith to your kids? No. Is that a good way to talk to your kids about purity and relationships? No. And yet somewhere 30 or 40 years ago, we decided that that would be the best way to talk to our kids about purity is to, instead of having age-appropriate little conversations about it all along the way, we decided that we would have the talk. Oof. All right. and, if, and if you're kind of about my age and you were raised by people reading James Dobson, you know what I'm talking about. You had one of these wonderful experiences. Um, and, and if you remember the experience, what you remember is your parents set you down and said, we need to talk about something. And you thought, oh no, someone's dying. And they weren't, but you'd feel like it later. <laughs> we talk about this, something. We talk about all the things. We talk about all the things. They talk about all the things and things you had questions about and things you didn't know you needed to be asking about and things you wanted to know and things you didn't want to know and you covered all of it because this is, you got to get it all covered. And you went through all of the different things that are, need to be covered, and, and they're like, so, do you have any questions? And the answer was, if you ever have any more questions, we can do this again anytime you want. You betcha. Sign me up for a weekly appointment of this conversation. Deuteronomy 6, I think, gives us a better model, and, and I'll offer you a, a bit of wisdom that was given to me in that class that I took down at Lubbock Christian several years ago. It was taught by Dr. Beth Robinson. Her advice was this, don't have the talk with your kids when it comes to this. Have a hundred little talks. Have a hundred little talks, and it's gonna involve a lot more listening and a lot more paying attention to what they're really asking and what they really need to know in that moment but it's, it's creating safe spaces to answer your kids' questions. And the key to doing the 100 little talks is this, is that you answer your kids' question 110% of what they're asking you in that moment. You don't have to give them the whole picture. You give them 110% of what they're asking right then, which means you kind of need to ask some clarifying questions. What do you really want to know? What do you really ask me? Because I'm happy to tell you as long as I understand the question. And you give them 110%. Here's why you give them 110%. Because if you aim for 100, you're going to always give them 90. And if you give them 90, where are they going to go to get the last 10%? Google and friends. Google's a mess and their friends are idiots. <laughs> and they're not who you want to be teaching them about the last 10%. Because they'll be like, hey, here's the 200% your parents didn't tell you. Don't do that. Give them 110%. You know when you hit about 110% because they kind of go, 
Okay, and they start wanting to move to the next thing. Like their attention shifts. Their question is answered. You know you've hit 150% when their eyes bulge and they go, gross. <laughs> we'll set that there, come back when you're ready, okay? But have these conversations with them. Don't be afraid and, and don't get anxious. You don't have to get your heart racing in this moment, your adrenaline flowing. You just kind of have to say, hey, listen, I, I think I know the answer to your question. Why don't you ask me exactly what you want to know and, and I'll try and explain it to you fully. Does that answer your question or do you want to know a little bit more? No, that's good for now. Okay, that's 110%. It lets them know that you're trustworthy. It lets them know that this is a non-anxious conversation topic. It lets them know that this is not something that involves shame and guilt. It lets them know that you are comfortable talking to your spouse about it and that they should someday be comfortable talking to their spouse about it. This is a conversation that belongs in families. God created it that way. And we need to get more comfortable answering our questions all along the way in a Deuteronomy 6 model. This is just part of faith formation, and we shouldn't separate it from the rest of it, where we kind of go, listen, we, if we give this one really good hour, we're covered. You're not. Give it 100 little talks along the way. The last thing is for uh, all of us. For all of us. Uh, and this gets to purity. Uh, because of the nature of this being within faith path and being a conversation that happens between parents and kids and teens, um, here's what you need to know is that purity as a spiritual uh, priority is not really limited to sexual immorality. Purity is something that has to do with your whole heart and all of the idols and all of the distractions and all of the junk that gets in there. We've focused more on the other because we're, we're in the faith path series. But there's a, a guy who's a German theologian named Soren Kierkegaard. And you would only read Kierkegaard uh, if you just enjoy suffering or a professor at some point made you read him. Uh, I know some people who say that he's their favorite author and they're just being pretentious or lying. No one really enjoys this guy's writing. But he has several great points in his book. Uh, and the book is called Purity of Will. Purity of Heart is to Desire One Thing. Purity of Heart is to Desire One Thing. What's the one thing? God. Purity of Heart is to Desire God and nothing else. Does it mean that you can't enjoy things in this world? No. Does it mean you can't have a family that you love? Does it mean you can't uh, enjoy your job and climbing that? It doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is purity of heart is that your greatest desire above all others is undisputed, and it is God. You desire God. You pursue God. You're devoted to God. And that that becomes purity of heart in your life. And this isn't something that is, is a topic that relates at all to your marital status. If you become obsessed with chasing any kind of immorality, whether it's through romance, money, success, fame and attention, power, all of these things become idols in your heart. All of these things become distractions. And if you worship these idols, you will become like what you worship. You will become like what you worship. God has created us to be worshiping beings. You cannot choose. Atheists think they don't worship anything. They just choose something other than God to worship. And they become like what they worship. 
As Christians, we choose to worship God and we become like Him. And so in Galatians 5, when Paul is writing about just such a topic, uh, Galatians 5, he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is it because these sins are bad enough that the cross of Jesus Christ can't save you from them? No. Is it because these sins become impurities of your heart that become idols that if you worship, you become like them and you no longer are like God? Yeah. Yeah. Purity protects us from idolatry. And so here's the message today. If you're one of the old married people that's here today like me, and you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm really glad he finally told all those young whippersnappers that they need to be sexually pure and, and all the things that they need to do. And yet you walk out of here and you're consumed with greed or anger or political idolatry, which is where you trust politicians to fix the problem of this world more than you trust the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's people. If you struggle with vanity if you struggle with success, then you have a purity problem too. Purity is a much bigger conversation for the people of God than just what happens in the bedroom. It's a conversation about making sure that the one thing that we desire more than all other things is God. And if you desire God above all the other things, the idols start to drop away and the impurity starts to fall away. And the, the things that get in your way are all of a sudden not that big of a deal. And you can imagine Peter walking on the water looking at Jesus and as long as his eyes were on Jesus, the waters didn't bother him and the wind didn't bother him and the distractions didn't bother him. But as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, suddenly all the things of this world start getting in the way and he's sinking. That's gonna be true for us too. It's going to be true for us, too, that if we keep our eyes and our desire and our heart tuned fully on Jesus, then purity takes care of itself. If you focus all the time on purity, that's not actually going to do it either. The key is not to focus on purity. The key is to focus on Jesus. And if you focus on Jesus, purity sorts out all the stuff that should be in second place, third place, and last place because you've oriented your heart and your mind according to the one thing that matters the most, your desire for God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit that comes and gives you the power to do all of it. And when we worship that God, we become more like what we worship. And when you worship the one who created you in God's image, then you become more in His image, more fully human, 
more in the image of Jesus Christ, the Son who died on the cross to save you from your sins. And it all happens by the power of the Spirit coming into us and transforming us so that we can have the ability to withstand all the impurities that the world tries to throw at us so that we can be pure on the day that Jesus returns, ready to go and be saved people in his kingdom forever when he cleanses us of all the junk and all the baggage and all the stuff. He makes us whole and white again. If you've never made that decision, that commitment to be, become one of God's adopted children, the Bible tells us that if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. That all of the guilt and the shame of whatever is in your past gets washed away. And the stuff that you make, mistakes you make going forward, you're forgiven for those things too as you seek to follow God, which is your greatest desire, and your Father who adopts you as His child. And he gives you his spirit so that through all of it, you have the ability to navigate the tough stuff of the world. If you've never made that decision to become one of his children, or if you have any other need, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing.